Hello and greetings everyone. I'm Pastor Edwin Strickland and I serve as the Senior Pastor of Fellowship of Champions Church International, a worldwide ministry helping people to learn to live out their God-given dreams by walking in love and living by faith. And I get to be your host and your guide for this exciting journey that we're about to take that we call Ed Talk with Pastor Strick. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Ed Talk with Pastor Strick. I am your host, Pastor Strick, and I'm so excited to be here today, and I hope you are too. You know, here on Ed Talk, we come together every Tuesday at noon so that we can merge knowledge, instruction, and faith with real world solutions. So whether you're here on a quest seeking to expand your knowledge base today, uplift your spirit or find common ground between the practical and the spiritual, I want you to know you have come to the right place. Together here on Ed Talk, we're forging connections, we're bridging gaps, and every Tuesday we are sparking thought, igniting curiosity, and nurturing our souls so that we can become the best version of ourselves that we can possibly be. So without further ado, I want to jump right into today's topic. But before we do, you know what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and click that like button. I'm going to ask you to hit that uh, heart button. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and help me with some social media outreach. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and share this to your friends and to your family and let them know that we are ready to have a really good discussion today. Let me tell you, today is the last uh, episode of Ed Talk for season two. This is our 13th episode. and It is our last one that we'll be doing for season two. If you hang on to the end of this today, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in November and December. You're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be really good, but I'm not going to tell you until the end. So go ahead. Uh, go ahead. And again, let me know where you're watching from. I know some of you have already done that. I see we got Little Rock in the house. I got some people from Alabama in the house. Go ahead right now and let me know where you are watching from. Just hashtag your city. And then also let me know if you're watching live, go ahead and hashtag live. Or if you're watching this on the replay, hashtag replay. I see I got Maryland in the house. I've got Florida in the house. So that's awesome. That's good. I'm glad that you guys are logging on. I know that people sometimes uh, they get busy during the day and they forget. But I want to tell you, if you, and I'm going to say this just like this, if you don't make six figures a year already, you are going to want to join this broadcast today. If you know somebody and they've been wanting to make at least six figures, you need to tag them and tell them to get over here in this broadcast today because I am going to talk about some things that I think people miss sometimes in their journey to six figures. My wife is often talking about how I can help people get to six figures in the workplace. And one of the things that most people do when they reach out to me at first, they always ask me to help them with their resume. And while sometimes their resume does need some tweaking 
It does need some updating. It needs some nuance with language. What I can tell you is that the majority of the people who I have worked with, and it wasn't a resume issue, they had issues with what I'm going to talk about today. And I want you to know that your resume alone won't get you to six figures. It won't. Your resume, your education, no matter how awesome it's organized or how it looks, that can only get you in the door. There are other skill sets that you absolutely need if you expect to make six figures or more. And I know that we gave the declaration at our church and some of you go to our church and some of you don't. But years ago, we made the declaration that everybody in our church should be making a minimum of six figures. And since that time, I've had the wonderful opportunity to help people journey from 45,000, from 65,000, from 75,000, from 85 or 95,000 to cross that threshold of that minimum 100,000. But I've also had the opportunity to work with some people who once they got there, wanted to take it up a notch. And I've worked with some people to get them from 100 to 150, some 150 to 250. And I'm telling you that what I'm about to share with you today is so instrumental in you understanding how to progress in the marketplace that you simply do not want to miss it. You simply don't want to miss it. And so uh, we're about uh, five or six minutes in. And so I'm going to go ahead and get started with our topic today. But you really ought to be tagging uh, some of your friends and family members, because what I'm sharing today, coupled with what I've shared on at least three other episodes of Ed Talk uh, in this season, if I was to package it together and sell it, I could easily sell it for $1,500 to $2,000 for a master class. Easily, easily. But yet I'm giving it away week after week, week after week, week after week. And what, I, what I'm noticing is that there are some people who are really grasping hold to it. And as a result, they're doing the things necessary. And since January of this year, I have personally helped over a dozen people, over a dozen people who I have their names, I know what they made before and I know what they make now. I've helped them cross the threshold to six figures in the marketplace. I keep saying in the marketplace because I'm not an entrepreneur in the sense that I have a, a business where I sell a product. I, I don't do that. Uh, my expertise about understanding how to get to this six figure number comes from working in the marketplace. And everybody's not going to be an entrepreneur. Everybody's not going to be a person who's going to have a business and sell a T-shirt. Everybody's not going to be in the business where they're selling uh, food. Everybody's not going to be in the business where they're selling clothes. Everybody's not going to be in the business where they're serving uh, some other kind of services. Some of you are called to occupations and careers uh, that are not entrepreneurial in sense, but they do pay you an income. And I want to let you know that there are some skill sets that you are going to have to learn to to manage, there are some skill sets that you're going to have to learn to garner if indeed you are going to be able to cross that threshold and get to um, this next level, right? This next level of earning, okay? And so uh, we're, we're going to get started. And I want to tell you that what we're going to be talking about today um, is something called building political capital, okay? 
building political capital. Now, before I get into talking about building political capital, uh, I have a note here that says I need to make sure that I make my announcements. Okay. And that first announcement is you can follow me on www.pastorstrict.com. If you go put that in your Google browser, in your Safari browser, www.pastorstrict.com, you can follow me uh, on YouTube. If you are not a big YouTube user, and you use other platforms, you can go to those platforms. You can search for Ed Talk. Just look for the image of me. Uh, and then you can click subscribe and subscribe on that platforms. I'm on Apple. I'm on Spotify. I'm on Heart Radio. I'm on Google and Amazon. So whatever your listening pleasure is, you have the opportunity to be able uh, to tune in to this podcast. All right. Now, today we are talking about a subject that a lot of people, I think, absolutely ignore. And because they ignore it or because they see it as something other than what it really is, they don't participate in it. And it is one of the reasons that I have found in working with the people who I've worked with who may have the education, they may have the training, and they may have the want to to go beyond six figures. And when I say six figures, please understand, $100,000 a year is a minimum number, okay? Because there is a difference between 100,000 and 999,000. Both of those are six figures, right? So I'm talking, when I talk about six figures, I don't even want you to just think about 100,000 because that really is the absolute minimum. Okay, I want you to start thinking about the 250 and the 350 and the 500 range. All right. But how do we get there? How do we get to a place where we can begin to to command that kind of salary in the marketplace? And I'm going to tell you that one of the key cogs in it is understanding this principle about building political capital. Now, I also want to say this as I get started. If you are serious about going to the next level and being a more than six-figure earner, I'm going to encourage you to write this down. There are three other pod, there are three other episodes in season two podcast that you need to have on replay. And I'm going to tell you what they are. The first one is episode one. It is called The Power of Optimism. If you have not heard that particular episode, you need to go back and you need to listen to it and you need to digest it until it becomes something that you deeply, deeply believe in. Because if you don't, I am telling you, it will become a roadblock for you to being able to get over that threshold of making a minimum of six figures. And me looking at your resume and you doing different things to it in different fonts and different colors and different paper won't mean a thing. Everything I'm talking to you about in these previous three episodes and today's episode has to do with what's between your ears. It's about your thinking. So the first thing you need to do is you need to go and you need to listen to the power of optimism. That is episode one in season two. The second thing you need to do is you need to go listen to episode eight. Episode eight of season two. Because in episode eight of season two, we talk about going beyond excuses. 
And if you don't learn to go beyond the excuses of why you cannot make a hundred thousand, you will never make at least a hundred thousand. All right. So you got to be able to do that. So you need to go back again, listen to it, digest it, and don't just hear it for the sake of hearing it. You need to hear it for the sake of how do I study out these things that Dr. Strickland is talking about? When he, when he lists these things that need to happen, how do I go back and study them so that I can become a person who can actually apply them? Okay. So you need to go back and listen to the power of optimism in episode one. You need to go back and listen to no, to Living Beyond Excuses in episode eight. And then you need to listen to what we talked about uh, last week, which is about navigating excellence. OK, you need to be listening to that particular episode and what you have to do as an individual, because if you are not able to become a person of excellence, I can assure you that even if you make a job, even if you get a job making more than six figures, you won't keep it long. Why? Because nobody is paying you more than six figures for you to be average. Nobody's paying you more than six figures for you to be mediocre. Nobody's paying you to be a simple worker. People pay six figures and more for people who can be decision makers. And if you don't have the power of optimism, if you don't know how to live beyond excuses, if you don't know how to navigate excellence on a daily basis, those things will hinder you from doing what we're going to be talking about today, which is understanding and learning how to build the necessary political capital in the workplace so that you can become more than a worker and a decision maker who can command a salary that is greater than six figures. OK, so those are the things you need to do. So, again, if you haven't listened to episode one episode eight and episode 12, you need to go back and listen to those in season two. Okay. And you can do that by going uh, to any of the places where you, where you hear my podcast. If you want the people who take notes, you should be writing that down. You should be like, okay, I got to go back and revisit episode one. I got to go back and review episode eight. And I got to go back and review episode 12. In fact, I told my wife just the other day, that when people start asking me to help them with their resumes, I'm no longer going to be helping people with their resumes until they've listened to at least those three podcasts. Because I can help you get in the door, but me helping you get in the door does nothing for you showing up, being ready to command the particular salary. Shavonda put that in the comments for you. It's episodes one, eight, and 12 of season two. And so if you ever think you're going to be reaching out to me, because Pastor Shana be on one of her uh, broadcast and she'll be talking about it and she'll say you need to reach out to Pastor Edwin you need to know that going forward as of October 31st 2023 when people are asking me to assist them with their resumes going forward I am going to send them back to listen to those three podcasts in addition to what we're going to be talking about today all right so let's get into it because I'm excited about it. I think this is going to be life changing. We won't be here, but maybe another 45 minutes or so. But I'm telling you, it's going to absolutely be worth it. And you ought to be tagging some friends and family members. Now, today we are diving into what I consider to be a subtle but yet powerful topic. It is one that is often spoken about in the hush corridors and behind closed doors in the C-suite and in middle management meetings, 
in the places that we have or we will end up working. It is called building political capital. And while we're talking about building political capital in the workplace, I'm going to show you later on that building political capital is not just about the workplace, that it, these principles, these concepts can be applied in so many different areas. Now, whether you're new to the corporate environment in the corporate world or, or seasoned professional, I want you to know that understanding the intricacies of office politics can be the key to unlocking and achieving your career objectives. I hear people say this all the time, and I want to I want to start off by correcting this. I hear people all the time say, I show up to work just to do my job. I'm not there to make friends. I'm not there for the politics. But I want you to know that office politics exists, whether you think you're participating in them or not. And if you show up to your job, especially if you work in an environment that is a corporate job, you work for a Fortune 500, a Fortune 300, a 100 company, or even if you work for a smaller organization where there are multiple employees in divisions and departments, I want you to know that if you go to work with the mindset that you just show up to do your job, that's what you will always be seen as, a worker. No one pays workers six figures or more. They pay decision makers. They pay innovators. They pay thinkers and they pay problem solvers six figures or more. And so the first thing that needs to be corrected is this idea. And I'm going to say it like this because it's my podcast and I can say it. The thing that we as African-Americans need to understand is we've got to get away from this idea that I just go to work to do my job. Part of building political capital in the workplace is doing your job. So then let's talk about this, because what I think a lot of people understand that a lot of our African-American counterparts don't understand is that political capital in the corporate environment is often called the currency of the corporate world. It is the currency. It is the thing that allows people to move in various positions. It is the thing that allows people to be in certain rooms. It is the thing that allows people to be talked about in their absence in a good way. It is the currency. It is the way you buy and exchange in the corporate environment. A lot of people, they struggle in the corporate world. <clears throat> they struggle in the corporate environment because they have never learned this concept of what it means to build political capital in the workplace. And so let's just talk real quick about what is political capital, because you may be thinking when I talk, keep talking about political capital, you may keep thinking I'm talking about politics in the terms of who's running for president or who's running for, for governor, who's running for mayor. And while that has a part to play, that's not what we're talking about today. But we are talking about the nuances of what those individuals have to do in order to be elected and what those individuals have to do in order to push their agenda. Because in order for you to get promoted, in order for you to uh, garner the raises that you want, you need to have some political capital. OK, so let's talk about what political capital is. What is political capital? 
This is Edwin's definition, okay? You may have to come up and nuance one with your own. But what is political capital? It is trust. It is goodwill. It is social influence and other resources accumulated by an individual or could be a group that can be used to achieve desired outcomes and objectives. Now, let me go, while you're reading, I'm, I'm trying to navigate this. Let me see what this comment here was. Let me see what this was. Yeah, so Shavandra asked the question, she says, what do you do in spaces where you are the only black person? She says, I was taught to work three times as hard and to be a good representative by staying out of the way just to do your job. And that's good if you want to be a worker. See, the people who told us that, they didn't have the opportunities that you and I have. You know, our grandparents and great-grandparents told us that not even because it was beneficial for us to climb a corporate ladder, it was beneficial for us just to have a job. We're beyond those spaces. I think one of the worst things we can do is keep telling our kids they got to work three times as hard to be just as good. Those were the things that we heard growing up, but those things really haven't benefited us. What we need to understand is that while we're playing checkers, that kind of game, our counterparts are playing chess. They're out building this political capital that allows them to move. And then we get frustrated and we say, I work harder. I have a better work product. I have more education. I should be the one promoted. But people don't get promoted and they don't get raises just because they work hard. They don't get promoted and they don't get raises just because they're the first one in and the last one out. In fact, doing that sometimes can be a detriment to you because people begin to see you as what's known in the corporate environment as the workhorse. And no one wants the workhorse to not be the workhorse. So what they say is we can promote Kathy, but we can't promote Rashida because Rashida works hard. So we need to promote Kathy because Kathy can delegate, but we need Rashida to stay in the position that she is in. We need Rashida to keep showing up at 7 a.m. We need Sharita to keep Rashida to keep working to 5 and 6 p.m. and not taking her holidays and not taking her vacation days because we need a workhorse. And what I'm trying to get you to understand is that nobody who is in that six-figure range of 250, 300,000 a year in the C-suite is living their life like that. Okay? So so that's that's my that's my answer to that. We've got to break this mindset that because I'm the only African American, I don't have the ability to build political capital. Yes, you do. You may have to do it differently and you may have to be smarter about it. And it even, may even take you a little more time. Maybe, maybe not. But what I'm telling you is, is the mindset that says I need to duck my head and be quiet and be out of the way is never going to serve you if you want to climb the corporate ladder and you're expecting to get to the C-suite. That won't even serve you if you want to get to middle management. OK, so again, what is political capital? Political capital is about trust. It's about goodwill. It's about social influence and other resources that one can accumulate 
so that they can then use those resources to achieve their particular desired outcome and objective. Okay. Imagine it like this. Imagine it like this. Imagine that you have a savings account. And in that savings account, rather than there being money there, what's in that savings account is trust and influence. And every time you make a good decision, every time you can do something to gain a coworker's trust or support, you are making a deposit uh, of more trust and more influence into that savings account. This savings account in the work environment becomes what is known as your political capital, okay? Now, just like with money, you can spend your whole entire savings account at one time, or you can spend it little by little. But, you, but when you spend that political capital, somehow it's going to have to be replenished because if you don't, you're going to run out. Now, from time to time in the workplace, you're going to need to withdraw from your political capital. Why? Because on your job, you're going to need to push a particular agenda. There's a certain thing you're going to need done. You may need others to come alongside you and help it out. You may have to ask for a raise. You may have to ask for a promotion. You may have to ask to be a, a people leader, right? Maybe you don't have any people you lead on your job right now, but in order to get to the next place, they want to see you with some people management. You might have to go and ask for that. Asking for that is spending political capital, right? You may have to have the opportunity to take a controversial stance because it may be the right thing to do. You may have to get others to come on your side and support you in that controversial stance. When you do that, you're going to have to expend some political capital, but you cannot expend that which you do not have. In the same way, you cannot pull $5,000 out of your savings account today if you do not have $5,000 in your savings account. Does that make sense? Does that make sense so far? Understand, the more support and the more trust you can have stored up, the more you can afford to spend on various initiatives, on various objectives and various outcomes in the workplace. If you just go to work and you just put your head down and you just do your job and you don't do some of these things that I'm going to talk to you about today that you need to be doing in order to establish and build this political capital. When it comes time for you to have somebody to, to talk for you or you even have to go and ask for yourself for a raise, for a promotion, to be a people lead, to take on a special project, you don't have any political capital to expend. So it's easy to tell you no. Some of you, I have people all the time reach out to me and they say, I've been, I've been up for three or four different promotions on my job and they keep telling me no. And when I dig into why they keep telling you no, I begin to understand why they tell you no. They tell you no because you have no political capital that you've built up. Not only that, but you've demonstrated yourself to be a worker, to be a loner, to not to be a team player, and to be someone who is really just almost like, if, if I was equate this to the Army, you're an infantry person. You're almost disposable because we can get another grunt. We can get another worker to do what you're doing because your idea is just, I'm going to work. I'm doing my job. I ain't there to make friends. I'm going to do my eight to five and I'm going to go home and they better pay me. And that's all they're going to do. But nobody pays anybody six figures or more just to be a worker, just to be a worker. 
I think what the people do at Chick-fil-A and McDonald's and Wendy's and Cheesecake Factory and any other place that you could go to, whether it's a service industry, whether it's a barber, whether it's a beautician, I don't care who it is, a nail tech, a masseuse, I think they deserve whatever they can charge. But nobody's paying an individual masseuse $100,000 in order to give them a massage. Why? Because it doesn't rise to the level of solving world's problems that would equate to six figures or more. Now, that masseuse may solve a small problem for a lot of people over time and be able to make those six figures. But if a masseuse really wants to make a half a million dollars a year, they got to have multiple uh, clinics. They got to manage multiple people. Why? Because you make more money based on the problems you solve at the level that you solve them. Okay. So here's what we have to do. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how you get political capital. We're going to talk about what you need to do. We're going to talk about how you transition. We're going to talk about all of that. All right. But I need you to understand what this is and why it's important. Okay. Now, there will be times that you will lose some of this capital because you're going to have to make some unpopular decisions. There will be time that you're going to have to lose some of this political capital because, some, because for some reason you may come across as being untrustworthy, okay? And if you come across as untrustworthy, if people can't trust you, then it depletes your amount of political capital. And if you spend too much of it without making more deposits, without regaining that trust and support, then you eventually end up running out. When someone runs out of political capital, they find it hard to get anything done because they've lost the trust and influence that they once had. This does not just work in the workplace, although that's what we're talking about. You can lose political capital in your relationships. You can lose political capital uh, with your children, with your spouse. Understand that you can lose that political capital. Well, you know, if 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 you are a husband uh, and, and, and you withdraw more, we call it from your love tank, but you withdraw more political capital than you deposit, then over time you're going to be depleted. So in simple terms, political capital is like a bank account full of trust and influence. The more you have, the more you get done. But if you spend too much without replenishing it, you will run into problems. And the reason that some of you run into problems on your job, no matter how many different jobs you go to, is because you haven't mastered this. You keep thinking it's them, but it's not them. And I'm sorry to tell you, it's you. You do not know how to play the game. And anybody who says they want to be a high ranking official in any corporate environment, you better learn to play the game because it is a game to be played. And the problem is you're playing checkers while everybody else is playing chess. And you need to know and understand that, especially you, my brothers and sisters of color. Because it's not something that has been historically taught to us, but it doesn't mean it still doesn't play an impact when we go into those environments. Now, political capital, while primarily associated with the realm of politics most time and in the workplace, it can still be viewed in various areas of life. And this is what I want you to understand. The concept of political capital is about influence. It's about trust and the ability to rally support or drive a political agenda or a particular agenda. People ask me all the time, how do you in your church 
raised so much money for students going to school. Trust, number one, because there's a lot of people out there who say they raise money for scholarships and they may raise $50,000. What they don't tell people is they spent 40,000 of that $50,000 to put on the sneaker ball banquet in order to get everybody to come and buy a ticket and have food and raise money for the scholarship. And then they're only giving out $10,000 of that scholarship when they said they raised 50. That, my friends, is a lack of integrity. That, my friends, will cause you to lose your political capital. People say, well, how do you do it? Because we say to people up front, we are doing what we call a no-fuss fundraiser. What does that mean? That means we are asking you to see the vision that we lay out before you. We're asking you to give to that vision. And then we are going to show you by example and through our financial statements that everything we bring in, we give to those kids for scholarships. In fact, in the, in the, in the first years that we did it, when we used like GoFundMe and we used uh, Facebook and they charged a fee, our ministry made up the difference in the fees so that every dollar that our donors gave went to the scholarship, trust and influence. So now here we are, we've been doing this since 2016 and we have people asking us sometimes, when is the scholarship fundraiser? When is the scholarship fundraiser? Why? Because we have the political capital to say, when we say we're gonna do something, we follow through and we follow through with excellence, okay? The same thing is true in the workplace. That same mentality has to exist if you expect to garner that political capital. So what are some areas that we could actually even use political capital in? It's not just work, okay? It's in your business. It's, it's in academics, okay? When, when, when you're going to school and, 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 and you have a deadline to meet, you meet that deadline. Don't go to your professor 12 hours before the assignment due asking for another three days extension. You knew three days ago you weren't going to get it done. It depletes your political capital. In community organizations, in families, in churches, in social groups, if you're on a sports team, one of the things my wife and I would never let our kids do, we never let them quit mid-season. If they said they wanted to play a particular sport, we would let them play. They say they want to play an instrument, we let them play. They say they want to try some activity or be in some club, we let them join. If they said they hated it, that's fine, but you're going to finish it. You're going to finish it and you're going to finish it with the right attitude, doing it the right way. Why? Because we were trying to instill in them these character traits, these behaviors that allow you to build political capital. Because, see, in all of these areas, the foundational idea remains the same. I must build trust. I must build respect. I must build influence and I must accumulate them over time so that when I need to, I can spend them and I can spend them in such a way that I'm not having to deplete what's in my savings account. I cannot overextend my political capital and I have to be smart enough to know and ascertain how much political capital I have. There's a scripture in the Bible that says, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to. And sometimes people in the work environment, because they think they've done one or two things, they think and they believe that they have done enough 
to build a certain amount of political capital. And try they try then to go and expend that political capital. And what they don't realize is what they're trying to buy costs five thousand, but they only have a thousand. If we was gonna if we were gonna talk in terms of money, right? If you had a thousand dollars in your savings account, you can't take that thousand dollars and go buy something to cost the five thousand dollars. You're gonna come up in a deficit. And what a lot of people, so many people don't understand is that they have not built enough political capital in the workplace before they start to ask for various things. You've been on a job three months and now you want to ask for a raise. Nothing wrong with that. But what's the political capital you built up in three months? What have you done to to set yourself apart just because you showed up and did your job? You were paid to do your job. Have you have you made the company money? Have you saved the company money? Have you have you walk, worked cross functionally with, with other departments in order to improve not only your department, but their department? These are all things that you have to be thinking about when you hear us keep saying you ought to be making one hundred thousand. You ought to be making one hundred thousand. You ought to be making one hundred thousand. Because the more we've said that, the more people I get showing up to me saying, Pastor, when I want to make one hundred thousand, can you look at my resume? It ain't your resume. Most of you, it's not your resume. It's that you haven't developed some of these skills that are necessary in order to build political capital. So I want to spend the next few minutes talking about how to do that. I want to talk about how to do that. How do you build the right kind of political capital in your particular environment? Now, let me just say this. I am an educator by trade. Okay. I'm an educator by trade. My bachelor's degree is in elementary education. My graduate degrees happen to be in education administration and education leadership and policy studies. Okay. I spent the first eight years of my career working in a traditional K-12 public school system. That's what I did. But once I started to learn that there was an opportunity to make more money, at least for me at the time, still working in education, I went into the corporate world. So I'm not talking to you about something I don't know. I know sometimes people go, well, you are a school teacher. What do you know about this? I spent the second part of my career, the last 20 years, the first eight was spent in education. The other 20 was spent in working in, in various SaaS organizations. What do I mean by SaaS organizations? Software as a services. Okay. I worked for organizations that sold uh, software to school districts, to departments of education, to educational cooperatives around the country. Uh, we were also involved in direct client services where we worked with individual school districts or individual schools, whether they were charter, whether they were parochial uh, schools, and, and, and we sold them what we call job embedded services. Okay. Well, we actually went in and did job embedded coaching with teachers, with principals and with uh, district administrators. Okay. So I know what it means to work in large organizations where you're having to work in a particular department. Um, uh, for instance, the departments that I typically worked in um, was in what they call partner success. Okay. Part of my job was to make sure that all of our clients were happy. Sometimes I worked in what was called PLD, professional learning and delivery, where we actually delivered the services. We went out and we trained teachers in these various curricular areas. Okay, but in that organization, uh, there were sales teams in those organizations. Okay, 
There were sales, sales teams in those organizations. There were uh, data analytics teams. There were tech teams. Uh, there was R&D in those teams. They, they were all kind of different teams. And I had to learn how to build political capital with the salespeople, okay? I had to learn how to build political capital with the people who, who, who worked on the technology side of the software that, we were, that was being sold that we were having to deliver. OK, and so some of these things that I'm going to talk to you about today, these aren't things that I pulled out of the air. These are things that I'm telling you, literally, if I were to sit down and combine these with these other things that I've done, I could easily sell this product for two, three thousand dollars a hit. But I'm giving it to you free because it's what the Lord told me to do right now. But but there's coming a time I'll package it and sell it. But you ought to get it while you can get it. All right. So hang in here with me for the next few minutes and let's go through these. Number one, and I'm going to go through them fairly quickly. Uh, I have some banners in there, but I'll just go through them. You can just write them down. Number one, if you're going to build political capital, okay, the first thing you have to be genuinely willing to do is to learn to build genuine relationships, okay? You got to be willing to build genuine relationships. You got to be able to network. You can't just go to work and put your head in your cubicle, work from eight to five and go home. You have got to develop relationships across all levels of the organization. Let me tell you a mistake that I see a lot of people make. And I made it early on thinking that I only needed to, de to, to develop a relationship with my supervisor and those above my supervisor. OK, but you don't. You need to build 360 relationships on your job. You need to build relationships with the people who supervise you. You need to build relationships with your peers in your departments. And you need to build relationships with your peers in cross-functional departments. And then you also need to build good relationships if you're, in, if you're in people management with your subordinates. You need to build genuine relationships across the board. This can involve so many different things. You need to be strategic. One of the things I used to do anytime I started with a new organization, okay, not only would I meet with the people on my team, but I would call people who were my peers who worked on other teams. And I'd say, hey, can I get 30 minutes on your calendar? Hey, can I get an hour on your calendar? I called the tech department and asked, can I get an hour on their calendar? I'd ask the, the research and development, can I get an hour on your calendar? I'd ask the sales team, okay? I'd ask uh, uh, somebody else in another department, whether it was diversity, equity, and inclusion, can I get an hour on your calendar? Why? Because it really wasn't so much about me having to know everything that they do. It was about getting in front of them, saying, here's who I am. How can I help you? Genuinely caring about what do you do and how can my team help you? And the problem is most people don't understand the value of developing those kind of relationships. But I'm telling you, the number one thing that you can do in order to develop political capital is to go to your job and begin genuinely building those relationships, talking with your colleagues. When I talk about talking with your colleagues, I ain't talking about gossiping. That's where some people get caught up. I ain't talking about hanging around the water cooler and talking about who ain't doing their job and who who dating who and who's showing up late. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being strategic about the people you begin to build relationships with. I used to look and I would come into a new organization. I spent my first 30 to 60 days going on a listening tour. I would set up time on my calendar just to listen to other people, my subordinates, my peers. 
And then I would also listen to those who supervised me to just hear what they thought the problem was so that I could get a 360 view of what everybody thought the problem was so that I could be strategic about my how my team could help each one of them solve their problems. Because you know what would happen in return when I had a problem and then I needed something from one of their team members. If I, if I was a, a senior director or I was a VP or an EVP, I went to my peer in another department so that when I needed assistance from them, they then had the political capital to reach down into their pipeline and get somebody to help me out. Is this making sense to you? This is what you've got to learn to do. And if you don't learn to do this, this is going to be very difficult for you in order to build this kind of political capital. Number two, what's the second thing you, know you need to learn to do? You need to be a person who learns to deliver on your promises. I used to tell my team all the time, here's what we're going to do. We're going to underpromise and overdeliver. When we were working with school districts and I knew that we could do an, implement an implementation plan in about 30 days, I told them 45. Why? Because once I set that expectation for 45 days and then we delivered to them in 30 days, guess how happy they were. So I may, I'm, you got to make sure in the job you're not always just saying yes to everything just to say yes, because if you start saying yes to everything and then you don't deliver, you are expending whatever political capital you have gained. You got to be honest and you got to be transparent. OK, you can't play games. These when I say games, you can't play games at work telling folk you're going to do something and then don't come through. One of the things I used to hate the most, I spent some time as a project manager. I actually got PMP certified years ago uh, through the University of, of Texas at Austin. And I got PMP certified in a job I had. I was the project manager. And the thing that used to boil my goat so bad is when I was working with a group of people and everybody had certain milestones that they had to hit. And every week we were checking in to make sure they would hit those milestones. And then when we got to the end, they would come and say, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have my I don't I don't have that project done. Or I don't I don't have that deliverable to you yet. Because what that did is it made me feel like I couldn't trust them anymore. So now I didn't want them to be on the team, even though they were probably necessary to be on the team. Don't become a person who people want to invite to leave the table. Don't be a person that when you aren't there, people are having discussions about how you don't come through. Deliver on your promises. That is one of the strongest way to begin to build political capital. Be a person of your word. When you say you're going to do something, do it. Do it. It builds trust and reliability. I believe in this so much that there have been a few times in my life that I told my kids I was going to do something and I couldn't do it. And not only did they understand, but they was like, it's okay because we know something major must have happened. Because if you tell us you're going to do something, you get it done. I hold myself to that standard. Ask yourself, do you hold yourself to that standard? When you tell your kids you're going to do something, do you get it done? When you tell your spouse you're going to do something, do you get it done? When you tell people you're going to be on time or your own time. This is one of the reasons I'm a stickler about showing up for time. I cannot stand to have an 11 a.m. meeting and it takes you to 1110 to show up on my Zoom. Because what that says to me is that you don't value my 10 minutes. And if you don't value my 10 minutes, how can you be building political capital with me? It's the small things. The Bible says it's the small foxes that destroy the vine. Now, y'all ain't seeing a whole bunch in these comment sections, but that's okay. I know I'm talking right. You got to deliver on your promises. 
Why? Because that shows number three. It shows integrity. It shows integrity. You got to be a person of integrity. I would tell my team all the time to be early is to be on time. To be on time is to be late. To be late is unacceptable. Why? Because it shows a lack of integrity. You got to be honest and transparent. You got to avoid putting yourselves in situations where you're going to be part of the, the gossiping and backstabbing crew. But that also doesn't mean you go to work, you go to work and stick your head in your cubicle and don't communicate with others. Another part of integrity that I think people miss out on is that when mistakes happen and mistakes are going to be made, own up to them. Own up to them. People have an infinity for people who can say, my bad, that was my mistake. Not that was my mistake. And the reason I made it is because my boss called me and my kids and they, no, 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 no. I should have delivered this. I was supposed to report this. There's an error in this report. It's my mistake. I can fix it. When, when would you like me to fix it by? Can I have 24 hours? And if they say yes, then in 24 hours, you come back with the mistake corrected. Okay. Or you say 48 hours thinking it's going to need to, you can get it done in 24. That way you under promise and over deliver. It shows integrity. Number four, number four, you've got to learn how to be a team player. You have got to learn how to be a team player. If you are not a team player, it is very easy not to invite you to the table when we are ready to feast on the labor of our work. People like collaborators. I'll prove it to you. You remember when you was in middle school, when you was in junior high school, or you were in high school or even college, and you had to work on a group project? Who is the one person that you did not want on your team? It was the person who didn't want to do anything. It's a group of five people and somebody is the note taker. Somebody is the researcher. Somebody's going to be the presenter. Somebody's going to be the organizer. And that fifth person is just sitting there waiting on everybody else to take a role, waiting on everybody else to do something, waiting on everybody else to, 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 to have to do some hard work. And then when everybody get an A, they want to stick their chest down and talk about how we got an A. We got an A. You got a whole lot of people in the corporate world who are just like that. And don't you think for a minute people don't see them. And if you are that person who wants to be on the team that, but doesn't want to contribute to the team, you will not have any political capital to expend when it comes to getting whatever it is that you want done or whatever you want to receive. And I know I'm talking right. I, I, I'm a pastor and I feel that way about church. I, I feel that way about church. People who don't serve, people who don't give, people who don't do anything but show up. And then when Fellowship of Champions does something great in the community, they're talking about, look at what we did. No, you didn't do it. You didn't do it. You weren't a team player. You didn't give of your time. You didn't give of your talent. You didn't give of your energy. You didn't go above and beyond. You didn't do anything that you could have done to be a part of the team. And so if you want to learn to build political capital, learn to be a team player. Again, don't overextend yourself. 
Because if you overextend yourself, then you're not going to be able to meet deadlines. If you don't meet deadlines, then you're not going to be a person of integrity. If you're not a person of integrity, then you're going to destroy the relationships that you're trying to build. But every now and then, you can take on some additional roles. Every now and then, you can do something to lighten somebody else's load. I remember particularly in one particular job, I got trained in order to deliver a particular set of professional development for school superintendents that wasn't even in my department. We did PLD, professional learning delivery. This other presentation had to do with diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I got trained to deliver it because that particular department was short on people in trying to hire in order to get people trained and ready to deliver it. So I got trained to deliver it. What happens? Four or five months later, when we got into the busy season of going out and delivering to schools, I went to my counterpart in diversity, equity, and inclusion and said, hey, do you have anybody on your team who could possibly get trained to get delivered, uh, uh, to be able to deliver this literacy and this math PLD that we need to get delivered? She said, let me check. She made an all call to her team and said, anybody who has been trained in any of our products in literacy and math, let me know. They let her know and she sent me six people who I could train to help go out and deliver. Why would she, why would, why would she do that for me? Because I had gained that political capital in the work environment, right? I was a team player, okay? Here's the other thing, number five, and this is hard for people. Number five is difficult for people and I have an entire, my wife will tell you, because we did it with our family. We sat down with our family, did an entire workshop on this. You got to learn how to receive feedback. And more than, and more than that, you got to seek it out. You got to learn to seek out feedback. You got to be proactive in seeking feedback on your performance and behavior. Most people don't want nobody to tell them anything other than, oh, my God, you're amazing. Oh, my God, you're awesome. Oh, my God, you're, you, 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 you're, so, you're so talented. That's all they want to hear. But if you truly want to get better, learn to use that 360 idea, okay? Learn, learn to have that 360 idea that I asked my subordinates, what could I do better? What are some areas you would like to see me improve on? Ask your peers, hey, we've worked together in some projects. What are some things that, you, that you, you've noticed that, that, I could, that I could work on to improve, okay? And then when you're having your, your monthly or your weekly, or your quarterly meeting with those who supervise you. Don't be afraid to ask those questions. Here's what I used to say to people all the time. Never be afraid to ask your boss what you can do better because they've already thought about it. Your boss has already thought about it. They may not have shared it with you yet, but they've already thought about it. But if you will become proactive in asking, then they become more of a coach to you. Watch this as opposed to being an evaluator to you. Most people, when they have to be in the evaluative mode, when they are giving you feedback, it's much more corrective than it is in terms of more of a mentor kind of role, all right? So you gotta be a person who, who seeks feedback, which goes along with number six, you gotta learn how to stay informed. Understand the company's vision, understand the company's mission, understand the strategy. Stay updated on what your industry trends are. If you're a nurse, if you're a firefighter, if you're a police officer, if you're an architect, heck, I don't know, whatever, whatever career you're working in, if you're a barber, right? Whatever you're in, stay up on the latest 
and greatest things is happening. Get better at your craft. Get better at your craft. Why? Because this will make you a valuable resource and a contributor to the strategic discussions of the organization. Most people, when they have to go to training, they hate training. And they don't hate training because training bad. They hate training because they got to learn something new. Because they got to expend some mental capacity in order to be able to, to be brought up to another level. You got to love learning. When you learn something new and you can bring it back and you can apply it and you can save your company a couple million dollars, a couple of hundred thousand dollars, you can be innovative and you can uh, organizationally improve uh, the efficiency of something that your, your department, your unit or your whole division is doing. Listen, that's going to get noticed. That is building political capital. OK, that is building political capital. Number seven, you got to advocate for other people. You want people to advocate for you. You got to learn to advocate for others. Supporting and promoting the achievements and interests of other people not only builds goodwill, but it also positions you as a leader who understands how to recognize talent. I slowed down when I said that because that was a thing that got me promoted the fastest. I had the unique ability and the help of the Holy Spirit that allowed me to recognize good talent. And because I could recognize good talent, I got promoted because they needed me to recognize and hire talent in other areas. How do I recognize and, 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 and honor talent? How do I do that? Because I begin to see what people are doing and I mention it. I advocate for them. I talk to my boss about my subordinates. I talked about the ones who are doing well. I talk about the ones who I could coach up more. I talked about the ones who I could delegate more to, right? And then when those people go up for their promotions, they get told who was advocating for them. So now they, they may have been my subordinate at one point, but now maybe they're my peer or now maybe they're even my supervisor. People remember how you advocated for them, okay? Number eight, again, I have a whole entire uh, teaching on number eight. You gotta develop some emotional intelligence. You gotta learn how to understand and manage your emotions. You gotta recognize the emotions of other people and then learn how to respond appropriately. I have a whole worksheet. I do not have the time to go through that today, but you need to understand how important it is in, in building political capital. Why? Because when you have strong uh, EQ, some people call it EI, I call it EQ, your emotional quotient. When you have strong EQ, it will improve your interpersonal relationships and your ability to navigate complex situations. Some of y'all don't know what not to say at work. Say love. Some of y'all don't know what not to say and you don't know who not to say it to and you don't know who not to say it in front of. You lack emotional intelligence. You say something and people laugh because they, it's, it's one of those nervous laughters, but you think you done told the world's greatest joke, so you tell another one because you can't read the room because you lack emotional intelligence. And then you start to deplete any political capital that you've built up with those individuals. You got to learn to develop some emotional intelligence.
Number nine, I just say it like this. You got to contribute to the organizational success. We kind of talked about that. Find ways to make the organization better. You know, to the, you know who the people are who I am unwilling to do without in my church organization? Those who are always making stuff better. The people who are always making this ministry stronger, always making it better, I'm going to find a way to keep them happy. I am. That don't mean I'm going to let them do anything they want to do and keep them at all costs. It doesn't mean that. It won't mean that on your job. But I'm going to find a way. I had someone in my unit who did not like PL delivery. She was smart. She was intuitive. I did not want her to leave the organization, even though she was going to have to leave my team. And so I went and talked to another unit leader. And I said, look, said her name, smart, intelligent. She gets it. But PL delivery is not her strong. It's not, it's not the thing she loves, even though she does it great. Her evaluations are amazing. It's not her passion. She really wants to do more research and development. And I think that if you have a spot for her, and even if you don't, if you can make a spot for her, I think you would get a gym. Now, I'm expending my political capital in talking to the senior director of R&D. But, but, but because I have built up enough political capital, that person is willing to take my recommendation of a person on my team so they don't leave the organization, to put them on their team. And when that person begins to thrive in R&D, not only am I contributing to the organization, not only am I contributing to my partner cross-functionally, I now look good again because I'm recognizing talent. I am constantly building that political capital. Is that making sense to you? And then number 10, you would think it goes without saying, but it doesn't. You got to learn how to manage conflict wisely. You have to learn which battles to fight. You have to avoid unnecessary conflicts, but you have to learn to handle conflict with diplomacy and with tact because conflict's going to arise. In other words, if you go back and listen to what we said last week when we were talking about navigating excellence, I said to you, and you should listen to that, especially if you want me to help you get to six figures, one of the things we talked about is that you have to seek win-win solutions. You have to seek win-win solutions, okay? Now, this last one, I'm actually going to stop here. I'm going to stop at this last one because I want to talk about it. Uh, the others are important, but I, I, I can just say them real, real, real quick. Uh, but but let's, let's, I want to stop here on number, I want to, I want to put a pin here on number 11, okay? You need to know, especially my African-American brothers and sisters, I cannot stress to you this enough. I just simply cannot. In fact, I've got someone who... I'm, I, I want to do something with me in the month of November, December. I want to have her come on and talk about this. But you have to know the difference and you have to know the importance in the workplace of seeking and having both a mentor and a sponsor. It even, it, I shouldn't even say seek a mentor or. I shouldn't have wrote it that way. You need a mentor and you need a sponsor, but you especially need a sponsor. Let me talk real quick, hang with me for five minutes. Let me talk about the difference in these two because this is where I think we miss it. And I think this goes to the question Shavandra had earlier about being the only African-American in the place and putting her head down 
and, and just doing her job. And that's what she was taught. And I get it. I get it. I get it. But if you've ever read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, even though Robert Kiyosaki made that concept up of having a rich dad and a poor dad, he really didn't. The concept is still true. And I tell people, it's not necessarily having a rich dad and a poor dad. That's good. Concepts are good. But you need a mentor. You do. But my God, you need a sponsor. And, and, let, me, and let me show you why. These individuals, a mentor and a sponsor, they provide guidance for you. They advocate for you. And they help you to navigate workplace dynamics. Okay? If you got a good mentor and you got a good sponsor, they can share so much wisdom and knowledge and institutional information it will allow you to mitigate and bypass so many different minefields in the workplace. Let's talk about what a mentor does, okay? Let's talk about the role of a mentor first. A mentor is someone who provides guidance, advice, and support. It is based on their own experiences, okay? My mentors in each place I've worked or where I've been when I had a mentor, they provided me guidance and advice and support based on their experience in their position and from the level of view that they saw it, okay? They helped me as a mentee to navigate certain challenges. They encouraged me to develop certain skills and they told me ways in which I could grow professionally and personally. I remember early, early on in my career, I did not like going to all of those meeting greets, okay? The company I worked for had an environment in which it was a for-profit organization. So when we were out on, on, on certain sales calls, we would invite superintendents, we would invite the mayor, we would invite all of these decision makers in these cities who made decisions about how school-related funds were spent to these big events. They always had an open bar, they had food. It was from like six to nine or seven to 10. And everybody walked around and mingled. And I did not like that stuff. I did not like it. So I would skip it and not go. I'd stay in my hotel room. I'd order me some food. And, and I didn't go. And I had a mentor who came to me. And he said, listen, I need you to know. He says, if you avoid these particular meetings, you're going to start to see year after year how your recommitted sales are going to go down and down and down. He said, because these superintendents, these assistant superintendents, they don't buy just because we're the best product. He said, there are other products out there that do what we do. He said, they buy because of us. He said, and they're going to buy because they like Edwin. They're going to buy because they know Edwin's wife. They're going to buy because they know Edwin's kids are going to school. They're going to buy because they know where Edwin went on vacation. 
And he began to explain to me uh, this idea about how I build that political capital. He said, because the superintendent, who may be the superintendent of San Diego Independent School District today, may be the superintendent of Dade County, Miami next year. He said, and if they know you and you've built a relationship with them, then you have the relationship with the place wherever they go. And so it's so important for you to understand why you need mentors, because they will navigate you around different challenges. They'll help you develop different skills. They'll tell you things to help you grow professionally, and they'll tell you things to help you grow personally. Okay? Now, in their role, how does this relationship work? We're talking about a mentor. Typically, the relationship is built on trust. And the mentor offers you and myself a safe space so that we can discuss concerns, so that we can ask questions and we can seek feedback without fearing judgment. That's why you need to be careful in the workplace about who your mentor is. Okay. You need to develop that genuine relationship first, because with a mentor, you're supposed to be able to talk about your problems. Okay. Talk about your problems, not your boss. I never talk to my mentor about my boss. I talk about issues. I talk about processes. I talk about systems. I talk about vision. I talk about strategic opportunities, all right? When I'm talking to my mentor so they can guide me and lead me and teach me how I'm supposed to go as I'm managing this particular landfill in this particular environment that I'm in. This relationship often evolves organically. So I'm not telling you tomorrow to go out and say, who's my mentor at my job? And then you just select a mentor. It should evolve organically and over time. It can be formalized through a structured mentorship program once you have said and say, hey, you know what? Would you be willing to mentor me? And what does that mean? When a person is your mentor, it means they're not chasing you down, okay? They're not making their calendar fit yours. Anytime I've ever talked to my mentor, I've always said, when can I get on your calendar? Not I need to talk to you at five. When can I get on your calendar? Do you have time this week? Do you have time in the next 30 days that I can grab an hour from you, okay? That's how that relationship works. That's a mentor and that's great and you need it. But my God, you need a sponsor. You need a sponsor. And this is where so many people miss it. So many people miss it. They miss it. They miss it. They miss it. What does a sponsor do for you? The role of a sponsor is someone who actively advocates for you. And they advocate for your advancement within the organization, and they have enough political capital to be heard. A sponsor will use their influence to help you get high visibility, whether that's working on new projects, whether that's getting a promotion, whether that's getting career opportunities, whether that's getting a chance to be a keynote speaker or be a particular presenter in front of the board. Okay, they're advocating for you. They're not just just a person telling you how to grow profession. They are literally speaking for you in rooms that you don't have access to. This relationship is all about trust. 
It's all about trust. And it's also essential in the sponsorship relationship because they have to know that if I'm going to put my name on the line for you, I got to know that you are all of these things we've talked about. I got to know that you are a person who knows how to build trust. I got to know that you are a person who can deliver on promises. I got to know that you are a person of integrity and that you are a team player. I got to know that you're not going to get mad and storm out the room every time you get feedback. I got to know that you are a person who loves to learn and that I'm putting my name on the line for you. I got to know that just like I'm advocating for you, you're willing to advocate for others. I got to know that you have high emotional intelligence and that you want this organization to succeed. I also have to know that when things get hectic, you're going to know how to manage this conflict without going nuclear and blowing everything up. I have to know that about you before I can be your sponsor. But once you have a sponsor, you have a person at a high level who can speak on your behalf. This relationship, again, often evolves organically. Okay, it often evolves organically. It is developed through time. Okay, it is developed through time. The great thing about a sponsor is a sponsor has a vested interest in your success. Those of you that are working right now and you say, Pastor Edwin, I want to make six figures a year. Can you name one person who is in a management position above middle management? At least they're at least at the senior manager or senior director or VP or EVP role who could be a sponsor for you. Because you spent the time developing that relationship and they've seen these other 10 qualities in you. Let me help you. If you can't think of anybody, you're going to be a long way away from being able to get those promotions in that particular organization. Doesn't mean it can't happen, but it means you're going to have to start thinking about what you need to do in order to develop that sponsor. I know, Pastor. I know. I know. You say, well, I'm just going to believe God. That's fine. I don't have a problem with believing God. What I can tell you is that God has given us systems. God is strategic and the Holy Spirit tells us how to navigate in every environment that we are in. And I am telling you that if you want to be a mid-manager, if you want to be in upper management, if you want to be in the C-suite, you have got to learn how to navigate this thing called the corporate environment where political capital is the currency. Understand this. Sponsors focus on your individual upward mobility within the organization. Your sponsor is going to be the one who opened doors for you. Your sponsor is going to be the one who makes introductions. Your sponsor is going to be the one who leverages their own political capital to elevate you and your careers. Who is your sponsor? See, in return, the sponsored individual has to be able to deliver exceptional work product so that they can strengthen the political capital of the sponsor. I used to tell my bosses all the time, especially those who were my sponsor, because every boss is not a sponsor. Just because your boss is your boss doesn't mean they're sponsored. But I would always tell my sponsors, I have one job. I have one job. That's to make you look good. 
That's my one job. My one job. I can't tell you the number of times that I put together presentations. I can't tell you the number of times that I've 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 mulled over uh, analytics and reports and, and 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 put an entire presentation together, made the presentation, and when everybody in the room clapped, I turned and I told everybody how much my sponsor helped me with this project. Even if my sponsor didn't do anything but give me the opportunity to do it, I made sure that whole room knew that I was there because of my sponsor. Why? Because that meant my sponsor was going to be willing to deliver additional political capital to me the next time a door came open. And I'm telling you, many of you don't get it. Many of you don't get it. And because you don't get it, it is a thing that is hindering you from going forward. Okay? In essence, while a mentor is like a trusted advisor or a coach, a sponsor is like a champion or an advocate. And you need them both. But baby, you need a sponsor. You need a sponsor. Again, this broadcast is for those who are working. I, if, if you are an entrepreneur, you, this, this, some of this may not fit for you. But if you are working a job, I am telling you this is necessary for you. It is necessary. All right. Just so I can finish this, let me just show you what number 12 was. I was going to stop at number 11. Let me show you what number 12 is. Number 12 is you got to learn how to share information. For those of you that are taking notes. Number 13 is you got to learn how to show gratitude. That's what I did to my sponsor. Okay. Anytime my sponsor opened a door for me, anytime my sponsor spoke well of me, anytime I heard that someone told me that my sponsor or my mentor spoke well of me, I showed gratitude. It could be a sonic drink. Okay. It could be bringing them back. I, I know every time we go out to eat, they like to get a chip, a, a chip and salsa. Okay. They like to go in and, and get a chip and salsa at the end. Okay, I bring them one back. I do whatever I need to do to make sure that I'm giving them what it is that they need. Okay, and then always the last one is you got to learn how to stay humble. I don't care how high up you get, you got to remember how you got there. You have to remember how you got there. You got to remember who opened doors for you, and honestly, you need to be willing to open those doors for them. Okay, so that's the end of Ed Talk for season two. That's the end of it. Now, let me tell you what I was going to tell you for the for the 35 of you that hung around. In the month of November, okay, and in the month of December, I am encouraging you to mark your calendar. And I want you to join me every Tuesday at 12 noon in the months of November and December because we're doing a special mini-series. It is called The Blueprint. Lessons from Impactful Leaders. And every Tuesday, I am going to have a different impactful leader from different industries, male and female, who are going to come and I am going to interview them about the things that they have done to cause them to be so impactful as a leader. And I can almost guarantee you that 90% of what they're going to have to say, you're going to be able to see some of that in episodes 1, 8, 12, and 13 of what we talked about in season number 2. I am turning the corner. I am no longer going to be the person just helping people do their resumes. Because even if I help you get in the door, I am starting to see how people don't remain in the door or in the place because they like the skills. 
They like the talents. And there's no reason that you should. We got to reset the mindset. We got to understand that there's a political game to be played and we got to learn how to play it effectively. And we can play it while still honoring God. Amen? All right, listen, join me next Tuesday because I cannot start the blueprint without having the one person who I consider to be so incredibly impactful in the lives of so many people, especially women, especially black women. And that's right. You know who it is. It's my wife, Pastor Sean Strickland. Pastor Sean Strickland is going to kick it off. The next week, I'm going to have Apostle Stephen Banks. Then I'm going to have Apostle E.C. Malbia. Then I'm going to have businessman Lemoyne Robinson. And at one point, I'm going to have the Queen of Green, Miss LaShawn Holland. I'm going to have a business executive, Miss Unika J. And I got a couple of more people who we are still going to have on here to round out some of our impactful leaders. And I'm telling you, you're not going to want to miss it. All right. All right. God bless you. Thank you guys for hanging in there today. Thank you for joining me for all of season one, for all of season two. Ed Talk with Pastor Strick, the official season three will kick off in 2024, but we're going to finish the year up with the blueprint. Lessons from impactful leaders. And I hope you'll join us. God bless you and have an amazing, awesome, terrific Tuesday.